I have to tell you something that happened this morning. And it has brought pure joy to my life. As many of you know, I get up early. I'm one of the I'm the early riser of the house. OK, which means I'm the responsible one. OK. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I, I I'm the early riser. And uh, so this morning I was up. I was doing my devotional time and, and doing my last bit of, of studying for for this morning with you to, to bring a, a word to you. And as I was doing it, I heard these little feet come out of a room. And, uh, oh, yeah, you no, know, it's not all, you know, it's, what are you doing? You're in my time. You know, that's what it is. And uh, so he comes, he comes, our little four-year-old Caden comes walking into the dining room where I'm at, sitting there at the table. And he looks at me and goes, I'm hungry. I'm like, first of all, there's no hello, Dad. Good morning, Dad. Dad, I love you. Dad, would you please give me some food? It's, I'm hungry, you know. And I looked, I said, okay. I said, well, what would you, what do you want for breakfast? And he told me this list of things he wants for breakfast. I said, buddy, I said, man, look, that's not breakfast food. That's like snack food for later. That's after lunch or dinner food. That's not what we're going to have for, for food right now. And man, you know what? Just as he knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. And the tears just came flowing, right? I'm going, shh, you're going to wake everyone, right? The dog's running out of the room at this point, you know? And so I'm saying, I'm trying, have you ever tried to negotiate with a four-year-old? It's very difficult. Very, very difficult. So, you know, he's, he's in tears. I think I have him calm down a little bit. So I leave the room and I go to another part of the house. So I'm in this other part of the house and I'm doing whatever I was doing. And, and you know, I was sitting, I was, well, I don't hear Caden. He's not crying anymore. There is God. All right. So I walk in to the dining room, which leads into our kitchen. And sure enough, he's taken a chair. He's put it over to the cabinet and he's standing up on the chair, reaching for the cabinet to get exactly what he wanted. And he turns around and looks at me with this stare on his face like, uh-oh, uh-oh. I've done. And so, you know what? It's, it's Sunday morning. I've got to preach. I got to stay with a godly attitude. So I said, I'm not going to blow up right now. I just looked at him. I said, what are you doing? I want this. I said, but did I not tell you you can't have it? I want this. I said, you cannot have that. And I start negotiating again for the second time in the morning with a four-year-old. All right. And I, I'm, I'm getting some leadway. And, and next thing I know, he comes down off the chair. I go and get him his chocolate milk. I go and get him his yogurt for, for breakfast, which I think yogurt's perfectly fine for breakfast. Okay. And, and, and so he's calmed down. And then watch this. I looked at him and I said, all right, now take the chair that you moved and take it into the room where you took it from. And I thought for sure he's going to buck it. You know, he picked it up. He carried it in. He put it down. And this overwhelming sense of joy just flooded my soul. <laughs> I said, you know what? I am doing something right. You know what I mean? I say that because we're in the book of Philippians and we're talking all about joy. All right. That's the whole thing about this book is about joy. And, you know, we have joy because of who? Jesus Christ. You know, we all know that. I, you, at least you should know that by now. All right. And I'm going to end this sermon series this morning. But we've talked about happiness. And, and look, we all like to be happy. You know, we write songs about happy. Right. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of sayings about happiness. It's all this stuff. Um, we also understand something about happiness that's very important. Happiness is what? It's circumstantial. 
Happiness is only determined by things that are happening around you. That's why it's called happiness. Happening things. All right. If things are going well, you're going to be happy. If things are going bad, chances are that spirit of happiness is just not quite there. This morning, for instance, as Caden comes out and he's fighting me over what his breakfast is going to be, the circumstances were saying this is not going to be a happy moment. But the joy of the Lord that was inside of me allowed me to overcome that. Now, that's kind of a joke a little bit there because it's just dealing with the four-year-old. But when we put it into our everyday practice and our everyday terms, we can understand that. You know, not everything that happens around us is happy. You know, uh, you go through stressful moments. You know, you get bad reports from doctors. You look at your bank account and you want to cry. You look at the job that you got to go to every Monday morning. And some of you are like, really, Pastor, you're depressing me right now. All right. You know. <laughs> but, you know, you look at those things and you're like, you know what? Sometimes the things around us do not bring an emotion of happy. In fact, a lot of times the things around us bring on the, the opposite emotion, sadness, depression. All right. Overwhelming. OK. And we go through these things. But we've been looking in Philippians. And, and I told you guys when we started this sermon series to read this chapter or not this chapter, but it's four chapters in this book. And they're great chapters. And it's all about the joy of God and, and, and what God can do in our lives through Jesus Christ. But um, I'm going to go ahead and take in this morning Philippians chapter four. That's the chapter we're mainly going to center on today. Philippians chapter four, verse one. And uh, remember, Paul's writing this. Let me give you a little bit of uh, history here on Paul. One, Paul had a great Damascus Road experience in Acts uh, where he ended up transforming his life, God transforming his life. Um, him coming into relationship with Jesus Christ. We've all, as a Christ follower, have had a Damascus Road experience in our lives. The Damascus Road experience is when you realize who you were, who Christ was, and you decided to follow after him. Okay, that's pretty much the breakdown of it. And so we understand that Paul here um, is, is, is uh, he had a really bad history. He had a bad past. He was a very religious person. In other words, he, he was all about the, the rules, what you can, what you can't, all that stuff, rather than relationship. And sometimes when we get caught up in, re, in, in, in uh, uh, religion, it can leave a bad taste in people's mouths. It can leave a bad taste in your mouth when it comes to God and Jesus and all this. But when we allow relationship to be a part, we understand that there's a love there and that there's a compassion there that is beyond our reach. But yet God still brings it to us every single day. And so Paul has been experiencing all of this and, and he had a call in his life after his conversion to spread the gospel and make a difference in people's lives. You know, one of the great things that I see about Paul here in, in the history of his life is that, man, this guy had a bad reputation. A lot of people did not like him. All right. He did not have everything going his way. But you know what? God still used him. And so that puts in light for me. I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter what people think about you. It doesn't matter what your past has been. It doesn't matter what you've been involved in. When you become a Christ follower, God's perfect will and plan for your life will be unfolded and he will use you regardless of what others may think of you. So that in your life should be some encouragement because I've heard, I've had a lot of people come to me before and go, Pastor, you just don't understand. No, let me tell you, yes, I do. I do understand. One, I've experienced in my own life. And two, I read it through these scriptures where God used the most unlikely individuals to make a massive difference in the world. 
So don't tell me that God cannot use you and your imperfection. Your imperfection is exactly what God's going to use to reach thousands, if not millions of people. And we see this with Paul. He had plenty of imperfection. He had plenty of mishaps, mess ups, you name it. It was the sum of his life. And here we go. He has this great transforming experience. He's following after God. He realizes there's a call in his life. And now God begins to use him to minister his word. Now, Paul had a dream. His dream, he felt his purpose and the will that God had for his life for his, was one of them was to go to Rome, which was the capital of the world at this time. And to stand there and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and win thousands to him. Well, he did go to Rome, but it wasn't exactly how he intended. It wasn't exactly how his plan was. You read through the scriptures, he was arrested, he's sent to Rome, he's in a prison cell, and he's chained to a guard, and he's writing a letter to this church in Philippi. That's where we get Philippians from. Now understand, this is a church about 10, 15 years prior, he had started. So Paul was one of the first church planners, okay? He was a pastor as in the trueness of the sense. He had a heart of a pastor and he cared about people. And we will see this here in just a minute. But Philippians chapter four, verse one says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. Highlight that. Stay true. You know, I, I look at that part and I go, even when your faith becomes wavering, stay true. Even when like all hell is breaking loose in your life, stay true. Don't waver. Stay true, okay? Um, this, in fact, it's an encouragement. He says, I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. So we understand Paul's a real guy, a guy whose life was changed. Paul is encouraging this church, the, Philippi, the, the church of Philippi, to keep going after God, staying true, staying steadfast. And watch this. You know what? Have fun doing it. Church is not boring. It doesn't have to be boring. I do everything in my power to make sure we don't have a boring church. We have leaders to make sure you don't have a boring church. Hello, we gave you coffee and a donut. That right there is not boring. We even brought water for those of you who complained last week that we didn't have water. All right. See, we listen. That's ridiculous. But Philippians chapter four, verse four says this, and this has been like our steadfast verse through this entire uh, sermon series. And it's rejoice in the Lord always, always. You got to understand that word. That's a big word right there. That word encompasses a lot of stuff, doesn't it? Rejoice in the Lord, what? Always. Again, it's in everything. The good, the bad, the ugly, right? Everything. Rejoice in the Lord. This is what Paul's saying to, to, to this church. And he says, and I will say it again. Rejoice. I sit there, I'm like, why does he say it again? Why is he like, repeating himself again? Well, because we're, 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 we're stupid by nature, okay? Just, I'm just going to tell you that. We are. Because one minute I can tell you what you need to do, and you're going to go do it. And the moment something bad happens, you're going to be like, well, that didn't work. And you're going to go the opposite direction, you know? We need to know we need to stay steadfast. We need to continue. We need to stay true. We don't need to waver in our faith. We need to stay on the path. Stay the course and stay it strong. Run the race and not give up. 
The Bible in chapter four, this is the big idea that Paul's finishing this letter and he's telling them one more time not to let anything steal their joy. Each week we have talked about joy killers. Today we're going to talk about a big one and this is the one that can really steal your joy. And it comes from Philippians chapter four, verse six. And it says this, do not be anxious about anything. Hello. Okay, right there. Time out. Who in here is anxious, right? Hello. Yes. Thank you. I am an anxious person by nature. That's how I am. I'm very anxious. Anxious is the ultimate thief of joy. I'm even calling myself out in this one, all right? We face this on a daily basis and it has power to rule over our lives. Anxiousness means this, to be between or to be pulled in different directions. Better yet, it means it's the halfway between hope and fear. Think about that. I really hope this happens. I hope what? That I get a promotion. I hope my finances get better, right? I hope I can make an impact. I hope this comes about. Remember, hope is a great motivator, but hope doesn't bring results. Hope is an emotion. Hope, hopefully, get it? Hope, hopefully, gets you stirred enough to start doing something, but the result comes from where? The actions. We all hope for a lot of things. Yeah, I remember um, when Andrew and I, we first got married and we, you know, you talk about kids, you know, kids. I've, up to that time, it was just Kyle in our lives. And, and, and it, it was pretty easy to, you know, he, I, he was 12 when I entered and, and, and we became a family. And man, it was, I didn't have to go through this baby stuff and toddler stuff. And oh, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, so people ask me, they've asked me, they're like, uh, either, either call me Pastor Kevin or Kevin, whatever. And they'll, they'll say, how come you don't coach like the little guys in, in baseball? I'm like, because they need to have coordination. They need to be older. God designed me to work with people 12 and up, <laughs> not 12 and below. Well, guess who's coaching T-ball this year? Pray for me. Pray for me. But I remember uh, when, when we, were, we decided to have, have a, a, a child. And, and it went through some periods of time there where it was like, oh my gosh, Lord, really? I mean, this, this isn't working out, you know? You know, month after month after month, there's no kid, there's no pregnancy, there's no this, there's no that. And, you know, my wife, she's so calm and collective. Oh, it'll all happen in God's timing. God, God, if God wants it, he'll make it, you know, oh, yeah. I love you. I'm so glad for that. Yes, yes, yes. However... The anxious one's going, what? What is going on here? We're going to doctors, you know. We're doing all this stuff. Apparently, I finally figured it out, you know, and bam, we have him, you know. And watch this. And so now, you know, we're, we're, we want to have another one. In my mind, remember, I've told you all about that story a little bit where I'm like, I, I can't share that much love with another one. That's impossible, you know. And I'm thinking, oh, it's all good. It's going to take forever, just like the next one. Apparently, I became a pro, okay? Because boom, the next one's on his way, you know? So, <laughs> that's so stupid. She's going to kill me later. She's going to kill me later. But we hope for a lot of things in life. And sometimes these things really just don't come to pass the way that we plan them to come to pass, do they? Sometimes God's got a different mechanism of making everything come into fruition or to become possible. It doesn't always happen 
in our time. And so what we do is we spend a lot of time in worrying about a lot of things. I've said this before, and I, I, I don't know where I saw this one time, but something to the effect of, don't quote me, but you can Google it later, something to the effect of 80% of what you worry about doesn't even happen, you know? It just doesn't even come about. I, I would even probably say it could be even more than that because there's plenty of things that I've worried about and I go, wow, I wasted a lot of good time worrying about something that really was very insignificant or had zero impact as much as I thought it was going to have in my life. There's top four things that Americans worry over. Number one is their health. We, wor we worry over ourselves or someone we love. We worry over family, concern over the individuals or a situation with family. We worry about finances. And I was surprised at this one. Top one the fourth top thing that we worry about as America is terrorism. But these are big things that create very real worries within our lives. But it's not just the big things that we worry over. A couple things here I, I looked up and they're over. Did you guys know that there are over 500 phobias in the world? How can you be afraid of over 500 different things? The number one phobia is people being asked to speak in public. It's called glossophobia. I guess I don't fall into that category. <laughs> All right. Now, this one here makes, I, I had to think about it before it really made sense to me. It's called petronophobia. It's the fear of being tickled by feathers. <laughs> Just think about that for a second. That would be horrible if somebody strapped you down and tickled you with a feather. Some of you will think about that later and be like, oh yeah. Here's one. Now, this one would be devastating to the society that we live in right now. And it's called nomophobia, the fear of losing our mobile phone. Yep, yep. And this one I thought was absolutely stupid. Phobophobia, the fear of having a phobia. All right. It speaks a lot about our culture. We worry about some really dumb things or some really insignificant things when it comes down to it. They're comical, but let's just be honest. Worry can also ruin our lives. It can ruin your relationships. The root word for worry really comes from the word strangle. Think about that. The experience of worrying is like being strangled. It's taking the life out of you. You know, some of you this week have been worried. Some of you came in here this morning and you're worried about something and you can attest to it. What is it doing? It's taking up your time. It's strangling a relationship. It's strangling you even spiritually in your lives. Worry can ruin us. You can, worry cannot, look, look it, it's not going to change anything. Worry's not going to, it's not an action. It's just an emotion. It's kind of like you can hope for something, but unless you do something about it, nothing's going to happen. Worry's the exact same way. You can worry about it, but your worry's not going to change anything. I've, I've uh, learned in my own life, when, when it comes to worry, if I find myself becoming anxious or worry, I've got to go to one source, and that's God. I've got to go straight to him. Lord, this is my situation. We're going to get in, into this in just a few moments, but Lord, this is my situation, and God, I can't handle this. My emotion inside of me that maybe I can't control, I need you now, God, to control it. How many of you in here, rhetorical question, do not raise your hand, would say, I need God to handle some emotions in my life because they're overtaking me. They're overpowering what God wants to do in me and through me to make a difference in the world we live in. So worry can't change anything, but here's, here's a couple things, a couple questions or, or ways that, that, that worry creeps in is our why. 
The why questions of life. We talked about this. Why did this sickness happen? Why did that person die? Why am I having financial issues? These are life questions. That w- Watch this. You're never going to find the answer to it. If you were looking for me to bring the answer to any of those questions right now, I'm sorry, I'm going to disappoint you. I don't have those answers. And for me to pretend as if I do would be a travesty to you. I don't have an answer to those questions. These why questions, they will frustrate us and they will possibly even make us angry and cause separation from God. And the why questions come why? Because we worry. Because we become anxious. Paul was very specific with with that scripture. He says what? Don't be anxious about anything. Don't get caught up in the emotion of it. Understand that as a church, it is not our job to worry. It's our job to take it over to God and allow God to do with it as he wishes. Our second one that we look at sometimes is our who. People can create anxiety. You probably know a person who does this in your life. And if you don't, guess what? You're probably that person. All right. (laughs) Plain and simple. They will steal your joy in a moment. People can create happiness within our lives, but they can also what? Create anxiety and worry. Listen, we all face these types of people. We all face anxieties within our lifetime. This week, you have had more likely to be faced with with worry and anxiety. And you're sitting there, you've probably already gone through this week in your mind or what you've got to do this upcoming week. Thoughts going through, worry creeping in. The honest truth is this, the reasons for anxiety, as I mentioned before, they're not going anywhere. As much as we wish the life would work itself out and become easy, life is not that easy for us. You're sitting here and you realize the anxiety that you have going on. You'll leave here in a few moments. You're going to be inspired right now, but some of you may leave here in a few moments and the worry is going to try to creep in. It's what you decide with it as to worry not you're you're going to allow it to affect your life. Uh, Jesus gave a, a promise to us, and I'm not going to throw it up here on the screen, but John 16, 33 says, in this world, you're going to have what? Trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I'm so glad that I serve a savior, I serve a God, serve a Lord who has overcome the world. I know, look, he promised, he's like, look, you're going to have difficulties. You're going to have arguments. You're going to have those moments where you're not going to see eye to eye. You're going to have those moments where everything feels like it's caving in. Jesus says, look, don't worry about it. I have already overcome the world. We have not been called to a natural life, but you and I have been called to this, a supernatural life. We're going to take a look in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 25. It said, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not what? Worry. That's not you need a circle, highlight, whatever you, whatever you do to remember that. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Think about that. He says, do not worry. And then the end of that, he says, who of you can add a single hour to your life by worrying? 
You're not going to change anything. If God is going to make sure that the raven, and we see this in that scripture, that the ravens or the birds of the air are going to be taken care of and you are more valuable, do you not think he's not going to take care of you as well? You have value to your life. I love the scripture that tells us that what, even before you were formed, God had a plan for you. That tells me that God specifically has something for me to do in my life that he designed before he even created me. So your life has got value. You're not insignificant. You're not worthless. Your reputation does not define who you are. You are God's child. And God's going to use you to do great things in your community, in your family, with those that you're surrounded with. Stop allowing what man is trying to implant into your head. Start allowing God what he's trying to speak to you through, your, through his word. His word is life-giving. His word is challenging. His word is changing. His word has compassion. His word has love. Listen, you want truth? Go to his word and watch the difference in your life. You want to be encouraged? Go to his scriptures and watch him resurrect his spirit with inside of you and allow the Holy Spirit of God to move. We have some keys to joy that we're going to look at. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 12 says this. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned over me again. I know you have always been concerned for me. Again, remember, this is Paul writing to his church. But you didn't have the chance to help me. I'm not saying this because I am not in need, for I have learned. Or in other words, he's decided or he's in the habit of to be what? Content. To be content. Whatever the circumstances, he's saying right there, I'm going to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned this. I, I love that we're going to get back further. And so keep that scripture up, please. But I, I have learned this, that our existence here is nothing but a mere vapor. My, my, other than me making a choice to serve Jesus, everything else is not defining me. Me making this simple decision to, to, to serve Jesus is to find my eternal existence, which is in, in what? God's kingdom forever when this life passes. So Paul realizes this and he's like, look, I'm content. I'm content with whatever's going to happen because I'm in the hand of God. And regardless, I know my existence is going to be with him. So I can be content. So that's teaching us as a Christ follower. And, and it's hard for us really to grasp because we think the here and now is all there is. But the here and now is not all there is. The here and now is going to shape where you're going to go later in your existence, whether or not you're going to go to hell or you're going to go to heaven. In order to go to heaven, you must accept Jesus Christ. And, and I love with Paul because his whole design, why God designed him as a pastor is to show encouragement to his church so that they can what? Live out the example of the scriptures and live out the example of Jesus Christ so they can make a difference in people's lives to turn them from a life or an existence of hell to give them into an existence of eternity and heaven. But he says, whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, in, in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And what has he decided to do? He's made a what choice. If we're going to get away from the anxiety and the worry of life, we need to understand we must make a choice 
to do so. And it's a daily choice for us. Listen, reality is this. Worry and anxiety is going to be all around us. But God has a way for us to step out of the natural and into the supernatural through Jesus, who is our what? Joy. So here's our key to joy here is this. Make the joy decision every day. Paul is going to finish the book of Philippians by telling us how we can do this. Number one, pray about everything. We'll go back to Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by what? Prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul's saying, stop worrying about it all, but pray about it all. Again, I, I've, I've noticed situations in my life when, when I could feel that anxiety and that anxiousness and that worry to creep in. If I'm obedient in the moment and I take it to God right away, the situation may not be fixed, but I know God's working on it in my behalf. And that brings my spirit to what? An ease, a calmness. How many of you could use some calm in your life? Yeah, prayer works. Remember, Jesus, what? He overcame the world. We just saw that. Our first reaction needs to be going to God. But we see three things in this verse. We see, number one, pray. Simply means to address something to God. If you are anxious in your life, the best thing you can do is what? Pray. In other words, God, this is what's going on. God, I'm not that God doesn't already know about it, but for us to do this is out of obedience for us. When we go, you know what, God, I care that much about my relationship with you. I I got to commune with you. I've got to talk with you in this moment. Secondly, we see the word petition. That's a humble and sincere request. God, here is my request about this. Now, put an asterisk on that one because it doesn't always work out the way. Have you ever prayed a prayer? Lord, listen, here's the problem. But God, I've got it worked out. If you could just fulfill it this way, we're good. We're good. You know, it, it, it... Okay, God, here's the problem. Now, here's my request. You take over. Don't you think that would be a little bit more realistic? You know, because you're setting yourself up for a big failure if you're going to tell God exactly how to do it. Thirdly, thanksgiving, which means this. By faith, God, I'm going to thank you in advance. Yep. So here's my request, Lord. Lord, I need a new job. Not me, not me. I'm good. I'm good. I like my job. People be like, Pastor Kevin doesn't like it no more. No. I love my job, but for, for, for some, you know what? God, I need a new job. So Lord, here's my petition. Take care of it for me. You know, open the doors you want open, close the doors, Lord, you want closed. And so here's what I'm gonna do, God. Thank you now for that new job. I'm gonna thank you in advance for that. You know, God, we, we, we want kids. I'm not gonna tell you how it needs to be done. <laughs> you know how that is. All right. But God, make a way. You know, I've, I've, I've seen people who, who weren't able to have children. And, and, and I don't say this to, to bring anybody down, but there's, peop, there's kids out there today who need a mom and dad. And God provides an opportunity for men and women just like you. That you have a heart for them and God is opening a door for a child to be in your family. That's another way that God works in mysterious ways, isn't it? Think about it. But you know what, God, so thank you in advance for providing that child. 
Thank you in advance, Lord, for providing me a spouse. Thank you in advance, Lord, for, for, for providing our finances to get better. Thank you in advance, Lord, watch this, for helping me spiritually to grow. A lot of times, one of the biggest needs that we will ever have in our lives beyond our natural needs is our spiritual need. And so we go to God, God, I need you to do this in my life and I wanna grow in you, Lord. And, and so God, handle it. That's a hard one right there to say, God, handle it. Because sometimes the only way that you get significant growth is to go through significant pain. Those are some of the hardest lessons to learn, but the most valuable you could ever learn. And for us to say, God, however you wanna do this, do this, but watch this, then follow up with Thanksgiving. Lord, thank you that you're gonna help me to grow in you and to have a deeper relationship with you. Um, second thing we're gonna, oh, and, and then continue in, in that scripture. It says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will what? Guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Often we need more than the results of our prayer. The results of our prayer is at peace to know that God is working in our prayer. Number two, think about the right things. There's so much, so much negativity in our world. Philippians 4, 8, 9 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellence or praiseworthy, think about such things. All right, keep that up. Whatever is what? True. Whatever is what? Noble. Whatever is what? Right. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is admirable. If anything that you're thinking about does not fall into that, get it out. Get it out. Don't allow it to be a part of your life. It can't be there. Why? Because then I can't think about the right things. My mind is being so consumed with so much garbage. I was having a conversation with someone simply this morning about this very thing. That we, the, the church today has got such an opportunity to make such a big difference, but at the same time, the, the church is, such, is under such attack by everything that comes at us is no longer filtered anymore. And we are so, as a society, filled with so much garbage in our lives through social media, through, through, through TV, songs, whatever. Through what you're reading. You're, you're, so much is coming in. And what? It's not noble. It's not true. It's not pure. It's not right. It's not praiseworthy. It's not of excellence. We need this stuff not to be in our lives. I've always, as a youth pastor, I used to say this to the kids a lot, to the teens. I said, look, whatever you're bringing in, you're gonna bring out. And it goes for us as adults. Whatever we're bringing in, we're gonna show out. So what are you showing out? If you don't like what's coming out, it's because you're bringing it in. You need, allow, you need to allow God to filter this, not man, God to filter this. Lord, what do you want in? What do you want out? What needs to be a part of my life? What no longer needs to be a part of my life? So much negativity in the world that we live in. It goes on to say, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, think about the right things and it will put you around the right people. 
When you are around the right people, you will make the right choices. Godly thinking leads to godly behavior. I'm going to say that this again. Think about the right things and it will put you around the right people. When you're around the right people, you will make the right choices. And godly thinking leads to what? Godly behavior. And then number three, we need to do this. Trust God in what? All things. That's the small things. That's the big things. I want you to know that God is fighting for you in your life. Philippians chapter four, verses 12 through 13. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Watch this. I can do everything through what? Him who gives me strength. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Anxiety simply marks a spot where we are what? Mistrusting God. We're missing out on the trust that we can have in the situations that we would allow God to handle. Watch this. My life will always be average. We say that. God's word says that you are what? A masterpiece. Wow. You're a masterpiece. You're not average. Average. 